Hi, welcome back. Today we're going to continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, specifically chapters 9 and 10. But before we get into reading the word, let's do a quick recap of where we're at. The book of 1 Samuel is an account of the beginnings of the monarchy in Israel's history. That is the first time in Israel's history in which they have a king. Now, this period follows a lengthy, over 400-year period in Israel's history that we call the period of the Judges, and this is recounted in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. During that period, the Israelites were essentially just a loose confederation of 12 tribes that were largely independent of each other. They tended to function independently. There was no centralized government. There was no central leader. Occasionally, from time to time, because primarily of military attacks from Israel's neighbors, like the Philistines, uh, God would raise up a judge to take control of the situation, to organize an army, and to fight back against Israel's oppressors. Uh, this typically followed a cycle of, of sin and idolatry, of falling away. The people would repent, they would cry out to God, and God would appoint a judge to kind of come in, be the hero, take over, fix Israel's problems and get them back on the straight and narrow again. Well, after a generation or two, after each judge would come in and do this, Israel again fell into apostasy. They, they fell into, uh, you know, religious corruption. Uh, their military uh, would dissolve. Uh, their enemies would attack again. Their economy would collapse. And they would uh, be in that same cycle again. They would cry out to God. They would repent. And God would come back in and save them. Well, this lasts for over 400 years. And over time, as you can see, the people uh, became quite weary of this cycle. And soon, uh, as we approach the year 1000 BC, the people of Israel start to cry out more and more and more that they want a king, an actual monarch to be appointed over all of them to help to solve all of their problems. And I think the people were looking at their king as, well, all of these nations around us have kings, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, um, the Hittites, who are now uh, gone, um, and before them, the Mycenaeans. This whole, you know, Mediterranean region had some very strong centralized governments ruled by kings, and it was very easy for the Israelites to look at the successes of those empires, particularly Egypt, and say, things are so good in Egypt because they have a king. They have a centralized government. We want a king. We want to be just like our neighbors because we want to have the benefits that they saw in their neighbors, like uh, economic prosperity, um, military peace and security. Uh, they wanted to have good relations with their neighbors. God repeatedly reminded the people of Israel, you don't need a human king, I'm your king. And he made that point through his judges and eventually through the last judge of Israel, who is Samuel. And that is the person who the book of 1 Samuel is named after. This final judge of Israel made it very clear. God is your king. You don't need a human king. If you repent, if you follow God's commands and practices, he will take care of you and you have nothing to worry about. But of course, this fell a bit on deaf ears. And over time, the people of Israel continued to cry out, we don't care. We want to have a king. We want a king appointed over us. And so this now leads into the very first king of Israel, who we will talk about today, who is Saul, a man essentially plucked from obscurity um, from farming his fields to be the anointed first king of Israel. And so let's go ahead and read the word. We're going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapters, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 27. Of Becherath, the son of Ephiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father's father, was lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you, and arise, and go look for the donkeys. And so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim, and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not there. And they went to the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them there either. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, unless my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass, so let us go there. 
Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. For formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went to the city and the, where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water. And they said to them, Is your seer here? And they answered them and said, Yes. He is there just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to the city, because there is a sacrifice of the people on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. And as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. And now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying this, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a young man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander supreme over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is. The man of whom I spoke to you about, this is one that shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me like this? Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about thirty people. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, to set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat this. For until this time it has been kept for you. Since I, said in, invite, <clears throat> since I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And so Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And as they were... Oh, that's... Do you want that last verse? Um... Stay here a while so that I may give you a message from God. Did you read that? Okay, no. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servants to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. Thank you, sir. Very good. Now, for those of you who joined us late, I jokingly, but not really jokingly, said the title for today's uh, lesson is Be Careful What You Ask For, dot, dot, dot. And what do you usually say after be careful what you ask for? You might get it. You might get it. So we have the people of Israel who are, who are constantly pressuring God, saying, we want a king. Everything is so great around us. People who have a king have it great. They don't really, but they think they do. Why? Because for 400 years, they've had these people attacking them constantly. They've had, they've had warfare. They've had civil war. They've had poverty. They've had very poor relations with their neighbors. If we have a king, everything will be a lot better. And what is God saying this whole time? I'm your king. I'm your king. Listen to me. And he's proven it. How? How has he proven that? Which time? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What chapter do you want to go to? Thank you. 
How many times we have the cycle? Remember, we talked about the, the cycle of the judges, of, of sin and apostasy, which leads to moral and civil corruption, which leads to a military conquering by their neighbors, which leads to repentance and a crying out to God for help and the people going back to God saying, we were wrong, you were right, and God saving them, usually by appointing a judge or a leader, excuse me, which is in no, no sense of the word a king, but someone to kind of take control of things temporarily, take the confederation of 12 Israelite tribes together, get an army, because they had no standing army, they would just get farmers and workers and craftsmen together and give them spears and swords, and they would go out and fight, and God would give them the victory. And in some cases, they had to do very little. I would point you to the, the acts of, uh, of uh, Gideon, <clears throat> To, to show that in most cases, this is one not the military that was doing, I think it was God who was saving them. Only to have everything good again and everything fall apart. Repeatedly, God proved to them, look, if you just trust me, trust me, I'll take care of everything for you. Now, what you're seeing here is, and, and again, to the point in chapter, uh, nine, or chapter eight, God finally <clears throat> relents. He goes, fine, I'm gonna give you a king sitting back on his throne like, I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. Now, who is most upset about this? Samuel. Yes! Samuel, he's like, dude, these people, they're so stiff-necked. They're, they're so stubborn. Samuel, and I think to his credit, actually cares. I mean, he does care. He cares. He's like, I really wish these people would just get their blankety-blank act together. Now, how many of us <coughs> can put ourselves in Samuel's shoes in today's modern day? <laughs> What is wrong with society? Slap, right? Now, sometimes God will give society exactly what it asks for. If you're shuddering right now and shivering, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Sometimes God gives society exactly what it asks for. And today we're going to find out why. And at the end, I'm going to, I'm going to ask this for the whole time. And I think anyone who's familiar with the Old Testament is also asking this. Why Saul? Why Saul? Now, if you know where we're going here, this makes perfect sense. And if you don't, we'll get there. <clears throat> What's mind-boggling is after God tells them what all is going to be, their daughters are going to be bakers for the king, that yep. their sons are going to be take care of the men's Let's talk the about that. king's horses and all this. You know, they're not going to like it. They still say, but we want a king. What does a king mean for the people? And, I want, and you just said it. Um, uh, everyone... <laughs> Everyone will serve the king. What else does this imply for their society? He's going to solve all their problems. This is what they think. And I'll put it in quotes. He'll, meaning the king, solve all our problems. What else? What else? Taxation. He is going to take... A lot from you, tax a shun. Right now, there is no taxation because there is no bureaucracy to give taxes to. Um, now, there is this sense that in this period, the Israelites are absolutely um, giving their sacrifices to God, um, at least the Orthodox Israelites. The ones who have recognized from their forefathers that <clears throat> giving a portion of their first fruits, and what I mean by that is the, uh, the firstborn of their livestock, or the, um, the choicest um, gatherings of their wheat, or, or oil, or wine, are sacrificed to God, or Yehovah, at a high place. So, and again, real quick, there's a lot of stuff here. This is in a period before there is any central temple. The tabernacle, as you'll remember, <clears throat> um, was for over 300 years in a town called Shiloh. We are almost 100% sure that has been destroyed. At least not the tabernacle, but the town of Shiloh has been destroyed by the Philistines. And we don't even know where the tabernacle is, folks, at this point. It's probably likely that it was disassembled or at least moved. Um, and we're not really sure where. But we know that the ark is now residing in a little town called Kiriath-Jerim. But point being, there is no central temple yet. And, and certainly, um, there is no central bureaucracy of the temple where you go and worship and sacrifice at a place. So, if you're a Orthodox Israelite, you are going to a high place. Meaning, you're finding a hill wherever you live, you know, and there's lots of hills here in the Judean countryside, where you're going and you're building an altar. And on that altar, you will bring your choicest 
um, you know, like I said, livestock or, or agricultural products, and you are sacrificing them and you're burning them up. You're killing them and you're burning them as an offering to Jehovah or Jehovah, God, Almighty God. And that practice is continuing here. Um, uh, and, and where I'm kind of going with this is that this is the norm. This is the norm. But there is no king. There is no central monarchy here. And so God finally says, fine, you know what? I'm going to give you exactly what you're asking for here. And, and I think that's leading to kind of this answer here about, about why Saul. Now, if you read kind of chapter 9, I mean, if you read all of 1 Samuel, you'll get a mix as you're reading. And, and I like to make this point, folks. Think about the author. What, who is the author and what is that author trying to say to you? In one breath, you'll read something that seems very pro-king. <clears throat> very pro-king. Um, and then in the very next breath, you'll read something that's very anti-king. <clears throat> and it seems as though the people are going through exactly what you would expect. They are, they're having these kind of internal psychological turmoil <clears throat> between knowing that the king could do a lot of good for us. Um, he'll solve all of our problems. Well, the very first thing he's going to do is he's going to raise a standing army. And guess what? Uh, he will appoint military commanders. Again, this, th there was nothing like this before this period in Israel. There will, be, there will be professional soldiers and professional generals and professional lieutenants who are at all times training and getting ready and equipping to go out to fight. Now, in some ways, that means that you're off the hook. If, if you're just a farmer in a field and you're, huh, you're my age <clears throat> and probably not, not good battlefield material, you're kind of off the hook here. Because now you're getting an army that's, that's put together by professionals and it's going to be populated by young men, right? Young men who, who, uh, who have just become adults and they can go and take care of things. So in some ways, <clears throat> the older men are off the hook, <clears throat> okay? We have a professional army. What is the drawback to that? There is nothing for free here. Your sons. Your sons are going off to die. <clears throat> Your sons are going off to die. What other issues are going to crop up from this monarchy that, that uh, Lorna has very correctly um, remembered? Daughters are going to be bakers. Okay, so everyone's going to serve the king. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people <coughs> serving the king, but what happens to, <laughs> as I made the comment last time, rich and powerful nations tend to move towards what? What in their highest levels? Are they always, are they always morally, morally sound and ethically sound? Corruption. This is huge. You will get much greater corruption. And it just the, the richer you are as a society, the more corrupt you are. It's just the way it goes. <clears throat> so all of these things are about to happen here. And God making a very good point. What else did you guys kind of take from this? And, and as you read this, you know, what questions do you have? What does it sound like? To be appointed a king to go before him in battle, mm -hmm. or a priest leading wouldn't, wouldn't be that kind of person? I don't know, I'm asking. Well, I, yeah, well, I, I'm not exactly sure what your question is. I think it is true that yes, the king would be expected to be the head of the military. Um, but you bring up a point that we'll talk about in a minute, which is the new pecking order. Let's, well, maybe I'll just talk about it now. There are priests in Israel and prophets. This new pecking order, well, let's talk about the old pecking order. Who was kind of at the top of the sociological hierarchy in Israel before the king? Who was kind of at the top of that pyramid? High priest. Yes, the priests. Now this turns out to be exactly the kind of thing that goes on in other countries as well in the period. It was the priests. They were, they were kind of at the top. They, they got to take a portion of your sacrifice 
when you brought it to Jehovah or Jehovah. Um, they kind of set the standard for the religious law and the religious order that was going on here. Um, <clears throat> they, you kind of answered to them. Uh, you know, they, they, they were kind of in charge, if you think of it that way. Who stands to lose the most through appointing a king? And I think you're going to see here the tension that's happening because of this. And, and we'll get into it in a minute because the new order is kind of interesting. I'm going to point out this. Um, in, the, in the new hierarchy, and maybe I'll wait to, to write that answer down because it might not be what you think. Um, at least according to what you've read so far in this, and maybe we need to read chapter 11 too, or chapter 10 as well. Is the king going to have absolute power in Israel? Meaning he's answerable to no one and no, nothing. No. Why? Well, um, so I think we're going to get to a story here real quick about Saul not waiting. He decides he's going to try to assert the pecking order. Right. He doesn't wait to no. sacrifice. And mm -hmm. Samuel is angry. And Saul, if he was actually more powerful than Samuel, would have just killed him. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. I'm going to write this in quotes. King's answer to no one. I'm going to write that in quotes because I think it's the assumed role of the absolute ruler in history. If I'm the king, I'm answerable to no one. Now, all you have to do is look at something like a, a world power like Assyria or Babylon or Persia or... Maybe, maybe it stops there. But I would say in those kingdoms, the king or the, or the ruler was answerable to absolutely no one. No one. And, and kind of the justification that king would give is, I have been empowered by the gods to rule over you. And in some cases, they would claim that they were divine. I am the son of God. God, either I am his son or he made me, and I have therefore the divine right to do whatever I want to you. Now, in those cases, <laughs> you would find it was actually very rare that that king would go back to God and actually seek real guidance for what he should do. In, in most cases, he just did what he wanted and said, well, since I'm the king or I'm God, I can do whatever I want anyway. And I think you have to realize a lot of the people of Israel, and probably including Saul to some degree, saw that they were answerable to no one. And that is an important thing to keep in mind here because it's going to turn out that's not true. That philosophy carried through history a long, long time. It's still around. Yeah, I mean, we still see it. But, yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. I, I think I personally would struggle with the... I find the, the donkey story interesting. Yep. You know, it's... Donkeys were lost, so he heads out to look for his donkeys. Why do you think? And all think, of a sudden, yeah. here comes this dude. He's like, "Hey, you're going to be the king." And I'd, so I'd, I'd be like, "I'm like, oh, it has to be God." And then, but in my heart, I'd be like, eh, "I don't know, you know, okay. I'm not really sure about that." Why do you think he was so worried about his donkeys? What do you think is actually going on here? And I, and I'll point you to the fact that one, the guy sent his son, his son, plus. And I got to be careful how I say this, plus someone else to go with him <clears throat> to go find the donkeys. And look, they didn't just go look in the brook. And they just didn't go look behind some trees. They went all over the place. What does that suggest to you is going on here? Just think about it. Is it, is it one or two donkeys that may have strayed off in the night? And what do you think is going on in this society during this period? This is like somebody, this is like a farmer with one tractor and he lost his tractor. Mm -hmm. I gotta get a tractor. The tra it's important. He's lost something very important to him. And when I say lost, do tractors just wander off on their own? No. What, wh how did the tractor leave? Somebody st stole it. Somebody took it. I think you're getting into it now. <clears throat> and, and I think it's true to say too that this isn't just one or two donkeys. <clears throat> it seems to intimate that Saul's father has lost a huge number of livestock and they don't just wander off in the night. <clears throat> I think it's pretty clear they, they think someone has stolen them. And this is a big, this is your life. Look, folks, 
this is a period before Nationwide was on your side. <laughs> you, you didn't just pay your insurance and be like, oh, they wandered off, I'll go call my adjuster and get a check. Your livestock wanders off, you're dead. You've got no food for the winter, right? You've got no money now to raise. Um, if you have crops, you've, you might be able to eat some of that, but obviously they're relying on this. So I think they are pretty clear. Something significant has happened, and they're going to go find out what happened. And it's not just Saul that goes with him. It's Saul and his friend, right? Saul and his buddy go out, and they're going to find out what happened. They're going to bring him back. <clears throat> Why did the donkeys disappear? in reality. Well, we had to set up, I mean, Samuel was told how it was going to go down. Mm -hmm. And so we had to set that up. So yeah. there's a lot of, that, that actually is one of the hardest things to swallow mm -hmm. as a human, mm -hmm. is understanding that the natural things that you do during the course of a day mm -hmm. Is, has a reason, I mean, that are far-reaching, that the whole mm -hmm. butterfly effect thing. Ah. It's just the hardest. Butterfly effect. Um, I mean, we had, to set, we had to set that stage, right? Mm -hmm. so. and, and let me ask, because I'm going to get back to what Ken asked, because it's hard to swallow. I, I agree. Why didn't Samuel just go knock on, Sa on Saul's father's door and say, where's Saul? I need to talk to him. What do you think? What's what's one plausible thing? What has happened here? We're getting ready to we're getting ready to invite all the important people okay. to this meal. Mm -hmm. In fact, they're so important. There's only thirty of them. Yeah. So think of it this way: um, <clears throat> in the course of this adventure, God has separated Saul from his family. He's got him alone. Now, I might be drawing too much out of this. But I know there's cases in the Old Testament, especially in the patriarchs, of sometimes God has had to separate out people from their family so that he can work on them. Um, you only have to look to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. <laughs> All of the patriarchs. God did this funny thing. He took a man who was going to be a very important part of his plan. He pulled him out of their family structure. Why did he do that? Especially with the patriarchs. Add, uh, add idols. Yes. There was some of that. Now, this is not necessarily mentioned here, but in the case of the patriarchs, we know for a fact that their families were not completely monotheistic. And so there was some of this, this pagan worship going on around them. So maybe that was happening or maybe not. Family is all you had, really. Okay. There was loyal, uh, loyalty there. that. Mm -hmm. Unless you were, I mean, you just tradition, yep. family, that's just what it was. When Jesus said that, don't you know, I must be about my father's business, mm -hmm. and that's what all sons do, right? They're about mm -hmm. their father's business, mm -hmm. but Saul's going to be changed here to be about God's business for just a second. Same way with Abraham, same way with Joseph. We're not going to be about... <coughs> Tara's business mm -hmm. anymore. We're going to be about God's business. Nice, We're not nice going to be about Jacob's business. Mm -hmm. Joseph, you're going to be about Joseph's business mm -hmm. or my business. Now, I may be drawing too much out of this. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I say is don't overinterpret the Bible. Okay? And, and we may be doing that here. But the facts are the facts. There was some event that drew Saul away from his culture, away from his home, away from his family in which Samuel could get him alone to talk to him. And you read, and, and have we read this part yet? Let's read here. Um, yes, he's seated, so we have the place where he's seated here. What do you saw about this time? I'll send you a man. I am a seer. He's, well, the yeah. very end, it says, you stay here yeah. so I can proclaim, proclaim there we the go. word of God. And, and here's the <laughs> other thing that sticks out to me here is that this is all very secret in the beginning, okay? And it seems like, and, and I don't know exactly how long is taking place here. It could have been one night, it could have been several nights, it could have been weeks. Um, but what you see here is a very slow revealing to Saul and to the people of Israel what's actually happening here. You know, um, uh, if you read the Judges, 
uh, there, was, there was a very famous despotic man from the period of the judges who decided to declare himself king of Israel. <laughs> and, and some people say, oh, that's the Jeopardy answer. He was the first king of Israel. No, he wasn't anointed by God. He was just some despot that called himself the king, and that he met a very tragic end. Um, it went over very poorly. It seems as though God is, is slowly preparing Saul for the, for the role he has for him. How does that sound compared to some of us? That it's not just slamming you in the face, all of a sudden, you know, Joel Osteen's book falls on your desk and, oh, I need to go be a missionary. I'm kidding. I'm joking wow. with Joel Osteen. <laughs> wow. It seems like it's subtle. It seems like it's slow. What do you take from Saul, at least just in this very beginning? What kind of man does Saul seem to be? He seems... I don't know if humble is the right word. Yeah. Um, Reluctant, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how, how could it possibly be me? Me, I'm, I'm a nobody. What does this tell you about God's choice of Saul? What kind of man is he looking for? Teachable. Teachable. He was tall in height. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. All the, uh, so he looked like a leader, right? He looked, right? And the <coughs> David and Goliath story will teach us that. You said humble. Who is a humble and teachable person in this model? Looks like God has different ideas in mind of who a king should be than maybe the rest of us, or the rest of them. There was another guy, I think, from the New Testament that was kind of like that too. Jesus, something like that. I think I've heard that name. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Servant leader, mm -hmm. a servant leader. What? Let's write this down. Teachable. And, uh, and uh, of course, I'll, I'll say in quotes too because it depends on how you look at it there. <clears throat> I, think, I think we really need to read chapter 10 to kind of complete this picture, and I think we'll just go right into that. Let's read chapter 10, verses 1 to 27. Again, who would like to do that for me? I 1 through 27? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you go from me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. Mm -hmm. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? And you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, <clears throat> another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of water, of wine. I need water. <clears throat> <coughs> and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their land. After that, you shall come to, oh, thanks. Gebethe <coughs> Shalom, whatever it is, uh, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down <coughs> from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre uh, before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy uh, with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hands find you to do, for God is with you. Then go before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you, uh, to come to you and show you what you shall do. Uh, to, how far? Oh, uh, just go to the end of 10, if you could, all the way to 27. Okay. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gilbeth, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? 
and a man uh, and a man of place answered, <clears throat> and who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb that Saul among the prophets, and when he had finished prophesying, he came to uh, the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to the servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys have been found, but among, uh, but about the matter of the kingdom of, of what Samuel had spoken, he did not tell anything. Tell him anything. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Seek a new king, seek a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and, and, your, and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near uh, by its clans, and the clan of the Matriots was taken by Lot. And Saul, the king of Kish, was taken by Lot. Uh, but when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? Uh, and, the, and the Lord said, Behold, he is hidden among uh, the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than <coughs> And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There he is. Uh, there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in his book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel said, uh, "Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gilbeth, and and with him he uh, went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, "How can this man save us?" And they despised him and brought him no present. Uh, but he held his peace. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. This this is heavy. <clears throat> this is heavy. I brought you, God says, I brought you up out of Israel, or I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I deliver you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have now rejected your God. Imagine that coronation. <laughs> right? Is that and like where the, the trumpet breaks? I don't know. Now I give you second place. I'm second yes. place? Yes. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> this, what does this tell you? Why Saul? What is God going to make the point out here of? <laughs> that man can't save you. He's not all he appears to be. I mean, he's hiding in the bags. This is, I, I really don't know how else to say it. He was hiding amongst the baggage. <clears throat> Can you literally imagine David hiding amongst the baggage because he didn't want to come out and talk to the people? And again, we'll get into David later. Um, I think that God picked Saul for a very important reason first. And I think it has to do exactly with what God is saying right here in the scripture. You wanted a king, and I told you, you shouldn't have a king. You shouldn't rely on a human being to save you. But if you want it, I'll give one to you. And guess what's going to happen? I'm going to prove a point to you. They're not all they're cracked up to be. Mm -hmm. They're not all they're cracked up to be. But, big but, is Saul going to be the anointed king of Israel? <coughs> you better believe it. Yeah. You better believe it. And what happens with Saul? God's spirit, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power and prophecy. What? Whoa. And even his friends and family are like, what is going on here? What is going on here? Can God use imperfect people to complete his will? Please. 
If you didn't, you wouldn't have anybody left. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What does that tell you about today? Does that scare you? Does that give you hope? I don't know. This is not an ad for Mountain Dew. I'm thirsty. I, I didn't have my tea today, so. <coughs> what does this tell you about today? Can we apply any of this to today, or is this just relevant 3,000 years ago? Can we relax and just let whoever it is be who it is? Thank you. No, that's a question. <laughs> no, I, I, no you, I, I, I'm going to say yes. I love rhetorical questions, by the way. And, I, and when I ask them, people answer them. And I'm like, you don't have to answer them. They, they can be their own statement. Just relax. Who's in charge of the universe? Donald Trump? Bernie Sanders? Barack Obama? Who's in charge of the universe, folks? Absolutely God. Nero was burning Christians on poles. Caligula was feeding them to lions. Um, <clears throat> during the persecution of Domitian, um, when John was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos, they were rounding Christians up and killing them. Who was in charge of the universe during those days? I guess I just have to make the point here that, and, and, and to be sure, I'm not saying that all leaders are rounding up Christians and throwing them to lions by any means. What I'm saying is, God let them be in charge. And I make controversial statements from time to time. <laughs> Things like no one human being is 100% evil. They're not. No human who has ever walked the earth, Hitler included, was 100% evil. I know that's hard for you to swallow. There are redeemable qualities in every human being, or maybe to Jeremy's point, or maybe not, Jesus <laughs> would have had no job to do. Right? You couldn't do it. There are people, everyone who has ever gone to heaven or ever will go to heaven has, is an evil SOB. I'm just going to tell you that. But does that mean that God can't use those people for good? Does that mean God can't use evil for good? Or that good people sometimes make mistakes? Saul was probably one of the most flawed humans that you will read about in the Bible. And I come back to this thing about, did, is it all made up, right? Is the Bible just a bunch of hooey written by people to kind of enforce their, their, their system of control on the human race? If I were doing that, I would never include the story of Saul. I would have skipped right to David. Why would I have talked about Saul? Why would I have included that? The story of Saul is in the Bible. He is the first king of Israel. Why? He got jealous of David. <clears throat> he fit the mold of what they were asking for. Yeah. I, I think this is it. It was exactly what they asked for. Be careful what you ask for. I will give it to you. In fact, probably the more they looked at him, the more like, oh yeah, we didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah. we take this too. Yeah. yeah. We couldn't get anybody mm -hmm. better than this, right? Right. He's a good looking dude, big and tall and strong, mm -hmm. looks pretty humble. Mm -hmm. No, he's not he's not gonna ask us to go off to war, he's gonna go do it all by himself. Right. Right. He's exactly. just gonna stand out on the gonna everybody's just gonna, everybody's gonna, gonna run away. To him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's obviously kind of we haven't got to David yet, but David wasn't hundred percent evil, but he was evil many times and but it was after God's own heart. Yes. And he was, but David was able to be changed for Saul. Yes. <clears throat> I don't think it's an accident that David serves right after Saul. In fact, I think that's God's perfect poetry here mm -hmm. to make his point, but to not keep making it. I'll make my point. You'll have a king. There will be a monarchy. Now, we're, we're kind of jumping ahead here, and, and maybe I'll just kind of quickly talk about a few key things here. Saul was anointed. By, by Samuel and really by God. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Meshach is the Hebrew here. Meshach is the verb. It means to anoint, but really it means to smear oil on someone or to pour oil on someone. Mashiach is the noun, one who is anointed. 
What word does this become that we know so well that refers to Jesus? Do you know? Messiah. This is Messiah. Anointed one. Anointed one. Many things in the Old Testament are anointed. It's not just kings. Kings are one class of thing that is anointed by God. But there are also altars. Altars are anointed. Tents. And the high priests. All anointed by God. The anointed ones. The Mashiachs include many things that God has said. These are holy. These are righteous. And these are set apart. But what is the new pecking order we're starting to see here? And I want you to see here that there were prophets that were coming up, right, from the high places, and they were prophesying. And then, and then Saul kind of, you know, joins in here. This is what people think. think. They will think that it's the king on top, the priests under that, and then you have everyone else. What is actually going to happen here? And I'm going to make this point here. It's kind of the balance of power, right? Today is your civics lesson. I think what you will see here is God's order is this. You will have the king. Although he'll sometimes think that he's over the priests, and in some way he is, he, they are not answerable to him. Who are the priests answerable to? They're answerable to God. Who else is answerable to God? This is the problem. This is what we do because this is how we see it. Yep. So, so the king says, "I'm in control." The priest said, "The priest say, no, you're not doing what God says." To, so to handle the king, they become political. Yeah. Right. And the king, he gets away from God, and so they, he starts into this battle with the priest. But instead of recognizing everybody's actually in the hierarchy yeah. of God is at the top. It, yep. you end up moving in all these different directions rather than staying true to a principle mm-hmm. um, regardless of what happens around you. Look at the, at the worst kings of Israel and Judah. And, and if you know the story of the Old Testament, things go bad. Things go bad. And it looks as though it's really because... <laughs> and, and where's God in this picture? He really isn't anywhere to be found here. I think you'll find this is the problem that ends up happening with the leadership of Israel and Judah over the next, um, what will end up being three to almost 600 years. To your point, James, the people think, no, king is over everyone, including the priests. The priests are over everyone, including the prophets. But God is making a very good point. We kind of have a balance of power here. If you want to think of the three branches of government, the king... The priests and the prophets are all co-equal in God's eyes. They all have a role to play in leading their society. And it's only when humans keep trying to force this that things go horribly wrong. Okay. What are your thoughts? The executive, the judicial, and the legislative. They're kind of right there. The two have to agree to anoint a new priest. Kind of cool, huh? At least in a human way. But who are they all answering to here? Well, who should they be? Who should they be? Now, I'm going to say again, how can we apply this to today? It doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States or you are a self-employed construction company owner. At all levels... There is, a, there is a pecking order for the universe that God has said. If you follow this pecking order, trust me, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. What do you think of that? Wrong, right? I could be making this up. I could have just made it up. What do you think? I believe it, mostly. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I believe it. I, I really believe it. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily always act like that, <clears throat> you know. I mean, the, I mean, we're talking now. The president is the <clears throat> the highest office in the most powerful country in the world. Meaning, he's the ruler of all. Mm-hmm. It's like <clears throat> we like to think think that, and he's going to solve all the problems for us. Mm-hmm. And if we just can get the right guy in there, then all our problems will be solved. 
And so then we battle about who's the right guy. Mm-hmm. And we just totally lose sight of who really is. And how much bickering about this has ever saved a single soul? Or ever solved a, a real problem? Since Facebook come, came along, it's been much better. Thank you. Was that a question or was that? No, that was a statement. A great okay. statement right there. <laughs> Truth. Final thoughts today. Final thoughts. Did you hear about the German Shepherd and the Doberman and the cat that went before Jesus for judgment? Uh, no. Jesus said, Shepherd, what do you believe? And the German Shepherd said, I believe in protecting my home for my, ma- for my master. Hmm? And he says, okay, you can go in on my right. He said, Doberman, what do you believe? <coughs> Doberman said, I believe in loyalty to my master. He says, okay, you can go in the, over by my right. He says, Cat, what do you believe? Cat says, I believe you're in my seat. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's where this was going. That's awesome. <coughs> I love that. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, look, I'm telling you, Samuel, First Samuel and Second Samuel are fantastic reading. Um, Please join us next week. We're going to start to see how this plays out. Um, Right away, right away, Saul is going to be engaged in battle against his enemies. Um, He doesn't get much of a a warming up period here. And we're going to see just what kind of man Saul is. And um, I think it's, it's really interesting where this is going. Like I said, keep in mind now everything we're learning about Saul and how we're going to apply that to David who will be the next anointed king of Israel. Okay, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.